We had to be outside today because we are remodeling. Well, I call it remodeling. They're painting the ceiling of the auditorium. Uh, they've got scaffolding all up. It's all torn down. So we're outside. We will be back inside next Sunday and invite you to come back for one of our two services. Well, as we gather today on Memorial Day weekend, I'm afraid in our nation, uh, many people have lost what Memorial Day is all about. For Memorial Day, for many, it's I get off work next Monday or tomorrow. For others, it's about a family picnic. We need to be reminded that it is because of the price that has been paid, lives that were laid down throughout these last over 200 years, that we get to have even the freedom to gather outside, to proclaim the gospel, and to give God the glory. We need to remember the price that was paid. And so today, my message is called The Tale of Two Soldiers. We're going to look at two different soldiers today in Scripture. We're going to look at a, a soldier who laid down his life for his king and for his country. And hopefully we can learn from Scripture and be reminded of what we have to celebrate today. This is a day the Lord has made. It's a beautiful day in our lives because we get to celebrate freedom. Not just freedom in a nation, but freedom in our hearts. Freedom from sin and freedom from bondage and freedom from the past. And all that was made possible because Jesus laid down his life. And through Scripture, I want to take you to a couple places. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Throughout the New Testament and in the Old Testament, we're going to see a picture. First in the New Testament, Paul would use the symbolism of a soldier to teach us great things about how to live in freedom. He's writing a letter to Timothy. And he says, you therefore, my son, this is verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of the Lord, you're not just in it for the ticket to heaven. You have signed up for the Lord's army. You are a soldier with a cause. You serve the commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus, who died for your sins. And Paul was telling him, you ain't just a preacher, Timothy. You're a soldier. You march like a soldier. You act like a soldier. And you be sure you give glory to your commanding officer. Verse 4. For no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 1981, the Lord Jesus Christ enlisted me into his army. I was serving my own self. I was in the wrong army. I was on the enemy's team. And it was God who called me out of that mess and gave me a brand new life. And I didn't just sign up for the life insurance. I signed up to be a part of God's glorious army. I am a soldier of Christ. And if you know Christ, you too are a soldier. And in this verse, take a look at verse 4 again. Paul reminds Timothy, be careful. Here's how the enemy wins the war. He gets the soldiers of God to get entangled in the wrong battles to find their energies and their life not pursuing the kingdom causes, but instead pursuing our causes and the things we want to do and the things that we desire, and we get entangled in everyday affairs. The church in America needs to repent, and perhaps it starts with us here at PCBC. We need to be repenting of being so entangled in our daily affairs that we're not paying attention to our commanding officer and his kingdom affairs for our life. God calls us into kingdom service. And so as we dig through this reality, I'm going to give you the tale of two soldiers. I'm going to preach about a soldier I've never preached about in my entire ministry. 
I'm going to preach a sermon about someone I've never really heard anyone else ever preach about. Oh, I've heard thousands of sermons preached about this guy's commanding officer. I've heard lots of sermons preached about his peer group. I've heard sermons preached about his wife. But I've never heard anyone preach about this particular soldier. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. We wake up in this stage in Israel's life. Uh, they are enjoying success. They have a godly king finally. They had had a miserable first king, King Saul. Now David, God's hand-picked leader, is leading Israel, and he has been leading them to victory after victory after victory. We wake up in chapter 15, verse 5, and it says, Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything, had not been entangled in the daily affairs. He was a good soldier. He was a good commanding officer. He did all things right in the sight of the Lord. And from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now when you think of great soldiers and warriors in Scripture, David immediately comes to mind. And maybe you thought I'd preach about David, except I said you haven't heard a sermon preached about this guy. You've heard tons of sermons preached about David. A man after God's own heart, a giant killer, a warrior, an incredible soldier, and now leading a nation into battle time and time again, victory after victory after victory. His career started as a little kid. His odds, we are in a sermon series, against all odds, the odds were against him. Uh, all the odds makers had all the money on Goliath, and if you'd been alive in that day, you would put the money on Goliath as well, and yet God gave David the victory. Well, as we watch the rest of David's story, God would anoint him to become king of Israel. He would be that hand-picked candidate. King Saul didn't want David to have the throne, and so he had an edict out, and it told anybody who would take out David, they would be rewarded appropriately. David had to run for his life. Even though he trusted God to be his refuge, he also was smart. He took refuge out in caves and in the wilderness. And over those times, God would bring to David's side some men. Some men that were called out of their daily affairs. Some men who were called out to be soldiers in David's army. They didn't know if he'd ever get the throne. They didn't know if that was it. But they believed he was God's choice. And they put all in with David. The odds were against them and their little ragtag army. There was only 37 of them. They would become known as the mighty men of David. These mighty men of David weren't so mighty when they showed up to David. The Bible tells us in Chronicles that they were depressed. They were discouraged. They were defeated. They were downtrodden. They were discouraged at all fronts. All these negative D words, and that was these 37 men that surrounded David. But they would become known as the mighty men of David. We take a look at these mighty men, these 37, there's one that was listed. His name was Uriah the Hittite. And again, as we saw in 1 Kings 15, his name shows up again in Scripture. That David did everything great as a soldier of the Lord, as a commanding officer, except for one thing, and it related to Uriah the Hittite. Who is this soldier? Who is this mighty man named Uriah? Well, Uriah, it tells us, was a Hittite. What does that mean? Well, it means he was a descendant of Canaan or the Canaanites. 
You know, it was the Canaanites that kept Moses and that generation out of the promised land. It was a wicked generation. It was a people that came from, were descendants of Canaan and Noah's grandson. That's who Canaan was. And out of his rebellion and over those generations, the Canaanites became very idolatrous people. They worshipped everything but God. They worshipped and made up all kinds of God, all the gods of nature. And they would even sign their documents with the names of these false gods. They were radically committed to a lie. And somewhere along the way, we find Uriah living in that culture, living among that generation, and his name was Uriah the Hittite. That's the second thing you need to know about Uriah. His name means light of Yahweh or flame of God. He was living in a dark time, in a dark place, in a dark culture. He lived among a people that wanted nothing to do with the living God and the truth of God, and yet God raised up this mighty man named Uriah to be a witness and a light among those walking in darkness. You, as a soldier of the gospel, have the same calling. We live in a culture today that would pursue everything but the things of God, and we have the opportunity to be the light of Yahweh, to be on fire for God, and to demonstrate that to a world that's cloaked in darkness. The third thing we find out about Uriah is that he also was a mighty soldier. He wasn't just an ordinary soldier. He was one of those mighty men. He wasn't just one of those mighty men. He was one of the mighty of the mighty. And he would be one that God would use to win many battles side by side, fighting with King David, bringing victory after victory for his people and for his God. He served mightily. But he also was a man under authority. Whenever he would address the king, it wasn't his best friend. It wasn't his pal. He would address King David and even his captain of the army, Joab, as my lords. He understood authority. He understood what his role was, and that was to serve his king, his commander, and his lord. So what is the tale of these two soldiers? I want us to parallel in 1 Kings 15. I want to look at what we see going on and what we see going on in these two soldiers' lives, David's life and Uriah's life. We know a lot about David. We know about his history. But actually, I'm going to take you to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, let's go to another, part, another chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11. You could read in Kings all the victories that were won, all the battles that the mighty men fought with David and how David would become king, and how he would rule righteously, and he would do all things well. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we see the tale of two soldiers. It happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. When we look in on this chapter... While David has done so many things so well as a soldier of the Lord, we find that he begins to make mistakes. One soldier was fighting the enemy. Uriah was there with Joab and the rest of the fighting soldiers of Israel. We find another soldier, David, who was at home playing it safe, hanging out in the castle, playing with his Game Boy, watching ESPN, having a good time chilling in the recliner on the throne and should have been at the battlefront with his men. 
You see, David started compromising. He became comfortable. He chose pleasure over his duty. He chose what felt right rather than what was right. And David probably convinced himself like we do. Man, I love my Lord. I love serving God. But man, I've been doing this a long time. I'm faithful to him. I would never turn my back. I won't worship these false gods. But I just need a little time off. I just want to play it safe. I just need to be a little bit more comfortable. And we begin to coast into daily affairs rather than kingdom calling. You can never take time off. You can never draw a conclusion, well, somebody else can do the fight and I need some time out of the battle. We are always at war with an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There is no vacation time. There is no time off. There is no, hey, let them do the fight and I've been doing it long enough. Don't you stop fighting until you see your commander-in-chief face to face. Can I get an amen from the soldiers of Jesus Christ? As we look in, we find that one was warring with the enemy. Another one was warring with his flesh. David was taking it easy, serving himself. Uriah was serving the king. David was living the good life. He was having parties, and he was eating the best food and the best drink of all the kingdom while his mighty men and his other soldiers were risking their lives for his kingdom. One soldier understood the battle. The other one was blinded to the battle. If you were one of those two soldiers today, which soldier would you be? Are you serving at the front lines? Are you stepping into it? Are you aware every day of the battle that wages around you, or are you coasting in your faith? Are you sitting back and enjoying the daily affairs of life, or are you pursuing the calling of your king? Verse 2, David was at the wrong place. He should have been at the battle. The battle came to him because it was evening, and David arose from his bed. He walked around the roof of the king's house. Maybe he was feeling guilty. Maybe he couldn't sleep at night wondering if any of his mighty men had lost their lives, and here he was hanging out at the palace. We don't know what he was doing on the roof, but we know the enemy had lured him out that night. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, one of his counselors, somebody who was very important to him and was the granddaughter of one of his chief counselors? That should have been enough for him to say, whoa, I need to look away. But then it was told him, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David, because he was living in his flesh, not living in the spirit and being where he should have been, finds himself now in a satanic trap. He caves into temptation. He caves into his flesh. And he, instead of fighting that temptation, instead of fighting the enemy who was coming after his testimony, he should have been fighting just like Uriah who was fighting the enemy at the battlefront. David had lived his life being a man after God's own heart. Now he's living in the flesh and he becomes a man pursuing another man's wife. And it's not like David needed a wife. He had wives and concubines. He had a whole palace full of those who could meet his needs. But he always wanted more. That's what the flesh does. The flesh always cries out for more. But it's the spirit in us that cries out, glory to my king, not glory to my flesh. The tale of two soldiers. 
All Satan wants us to do is to make a small compromise. It didn't seem like any big deal. David's getting older. He's fought his battles. Hey, man, it's all right. I've got a great army. I've taught them. I've trained them. I've equipped them. They can do the battle. It's better that I'm protected here at the palace. He made all kinds of rationalizations, and that's what we do. We rationalize away the kingdom call. We rationalize God's voice, or we rationalize away God's voice, and we start listening to the voice of our flesh. That's what leads to destruction. We begin to take a day off here and another day here and another day there, and we begin to believe that we're strong enough. Yes, we love the Lord. We can relax and take it easy. You can never take it easy till you see your commander-in-chief face to face. David didn't realize that his greatest battle wouldn't be against Goliath. It wouldn't be against the Canaanites or the battle at Rabbah. It would be on his very own doorstep in his very own heart right there in the palace on his home front. David would cave to the lust of his flesh. He would take what wasn't his, and he would do what he thought he would never do. And guys, if that doesn't put you on your knees every day, asking for protection from yourself, I don't know what will. If David, a man after God's own heart, would go after his flesh, so will you unless you're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords every single day. David now has a scandal on his hands. Verse 5. The woman conceived, she became pregnant, and she told David. So David had a scandal. He's the king of a kingdom. He's known as a man after God's own heart. He's the one that everybody sings songs about, that Saul had killed his thousands, but not our king, David. He's a warrior. He's killed his ten thousands. Everybody knew his reputation. Everybody knew his responsibility. And now he had a scandal. So let's see how David handles it. The tale of two soldiers. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab stopped where they were in the war, sent a messenger to Uriah and had Uriah come back to the palace to report to King David. His mighty man was now with his mighty commander. As Uriah approached the king, David would fall on his knees in his face and humble himself before Uriah. He would confess his sin and ask for his forgiveness and tell him that he had sinned against him and he was wrong. And would his mighty brother, his mighty warrior, forgive, find forgiveness in his heart? That's not how it reads, is it? That's how it should read. That's how the short story should have gone. That's what should come from a man who has a heart after God. But David's still stuck in his flesh. Look at verse 7. So when Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab, the people, the state of war. David said, Uriah, Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Take some time off for battle. You fought beside me forever and ever. You deserve a vacation. I want you to be strong. This is a tough war. And man, just take a few days of R&R. Your wife is down there. Your wife is lonely. She misses her husband, her warrior. You know he was missing Bathsheba. He's been with a bunch of grimy, smelly soldiers in the heat of battle for day after day after day, and he has a chance and an edict from the king to get some R&R. Don't you know, I would have taken that opportunity. You would have taken that opportunity. The Bible says Uriah went out of the king's house 
And he received that present from the king. But Uriah, but Uriah. One was in the flesh, one was walking in the spirit. One was being obedient to his God, and one was being obedient to his flesh. Uriah didn't honor the command of David. He honored the command of his true commander, the Lord God. And instead of going to his house, he slept with the rest of the servants that were right there at the king's palace, and he did not go to his own house. So as we look at these two soldiers, one soldier was corrupted by his power, The other soldier walked with power. The one who had the most power in the land had the least power in his heart. The other one who was just simply an enlisted soldier demonstrated more power than the most powerful person in the kingdom. And you have that same power living in you. Jesus told his disciples, I'm leaving. They said, you can't leave. He said, I must leave. And it's to your advantage because if I go, I will send you. Who? The power of God, the Holy Spirit. You have that advantage. Walk in that advantage. Live in that power just like Uriah. And don't live like maybe other soldiers in the church today that are entangled in the daily affairs of man, but live like Uriah. Verse 9. While David was trying to be the ultimate politician, was working his corrupt tactics to try to cover up his scandal, we find that he wouldn't give up on the scheme. Verse 9, he discovered Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the other servants. And when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey, man? Why did you not go down to your house? I'm sure he put all kinds of guilt on him. Do you not love your wife, man? Do you not care about her? You're being selfish, Uriah. I'm sure he did all the emotional manipulation he could throw at him. And then we find a man of principle responding back. And he said this, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. My Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Now what you don't hear there is he probably would have said, You know, I'd love nothing better. Man, I'd give anything to go be with my wife. Matter of fact, this may be the very last time I ever see my wife. I may not come back from war. He had an opportunity to have one more day with his bride. But Uriah was committed to his Lord. He was committed to his calling. And he didn't cave when his flesh came calling. He caved to what God's call was on his life. You see, David forgot that this was one of his mighty men. This wasn't an ordinary soldier. This wasn't an average red-blooded man. He was different. He had a power about him. He had a principle about him. He was different than other soldiers. So David tries one more time. He gets so down in the gutter that he has Uriah stay for two more days in his palace, and he gets him drunk. He winds him and he dines him hoping that he would be under the influence and he would cave to his principles, and Uriah didn't do it. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy? No soldier, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. They live in such a way that they please the one who enlisted them as a soldier. May that be our prayer today. Lord God, you enlisted me into your family. 
God, you enlisted me into your army. And God, I serve at your command. Don't be even like King David who once served well, who once was a man after God's own heart, and caved to the daily affairs of the flesh. So perhaps you know the rest of the story. David can't trick him. He can't manipulate him. And so he sends him back to battle. And he realizes that if Uriah comes back from war, and he comes back to a pregnant lady, they know it wasn't Uriah's child, and the story will get out that David is an adulterer, that he took advantage of one of his mighty men's own wives. There's nothing else for him to do. Oh, there's plenty he should have done. But in his mind, his mind tells him, you got one last resort. He sent a message to Joab, and he said, I want you to put Uriah at the most fierce part of the battle line, and I want you to put him in the very front of the line. And at a certain point in the battle, I want you to withdraw all the soldiers but Uriah. And he left Uriah out there on the battlefront to die a lonely, lonely death. David ordered it. David commanded it, trying to protect his own reputation. David ordered the death of one of his mighty men, all to cover his own sin. But there was a soldier. There is another soldier. Let me introduce you to a third soldier. Another one like Uriah. You see, Uriah laid down his life for his country. I don't know if they had a Memorial Day. I'm sure they remembered often those who laid down their life like we're doing this weekend. But let's don't forget, as Josh mentioned earlier, the ultimate one who came to do the Father's will, who came to this earth and left his throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our commanding officer, who came to this earth and laid down his life, died for our sins, that we could be set free. David sent an innocent man to his death to cover up his sin. The Father sent an innocent man to a cross because of your sin and mine that we might be free, not just remembering our freedoms on Memorial Weekend, but being free for all of eternity. Would you join me as we thank Jesus, the one who paid that price? Bow your heads with me if you would. I don't know what you do with this message today, but I hope on this Memorial Weekend, I hope you remember. I hope you remember the price that was paid for our freedoms in this nation. Remember well. Freedom did not come cheap. It came at a very high price. But let's also remember the one who laid down his life for us, like Uriah did for his country, like others have done for our country. What about the one that did that for all of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ? And maybe you're here today and you know Jesus, you know about Jesus, but you don't know him as your commander-in-chief. You've never surrendered control of your life to him. Oh, you've been a member of a church maybe. You've gone to church. You have a Bible. You showed up on a Sunday. That's awesome. But is he your commander-in-chief? Has there been a time in your life where you said, God, I've been in charge, but I give you control. God, I repent of my sins, and I ask you to take over this life. Be the Lord, the master, and my commander. Has there ever been a day in your life where you've done that? If there is... If you can see a day like that, thank Jesus that he revealed his love for you. 
If that's never happened for you, then today, today I would choose him as your commander. Look at what it is when you're the commander. Look at how it goes when we're in charge. What if you gave God that opportunity? What if you gave God control of your life? What if you asked Jesus to be your chief, your Lord, your commander? You can do that by praying to him. The Bible says if you will call on the name of the Lord, he'll save you. He'll make you a brand new person. He'll enlist you into his army. He'll change you and make you all new. How does that happen? you got to pray. you got to repent of your sins and ask Jesus to save you. And right where you are, you can do that. It doesn't matter how young or how old. As soon as you see your sin and a need for a commanding officer, you can be saved. Is there anybody here, even online, and you say, that's me. I've been the Lord of my life. I have no Lord but me. I need to be saved. And I see now that Jesus died for me to give me a new life. I need Jesus. Would you raise your hand anywhere just real high where I can see it? Anywhere throughout this audience. If you're online, you can email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. Anybody say, today I need Jesus to be my commander. Raise your hand high. Anybody. And if I don't see it, you pray right now and just say, Lord, save me. Lord, I give you control of my life. I will serve you with my surrendered life. And those who already know him as your commander, I want you to take just a moment before we move on to hot dogs and snow cones and the rest of the holiday. I want you to take a moment and I want you to check in with your commander. I want you in your spirit person to look Jesus eye to eye and say, Lord, here am I. Speak. Lord, show me what's next. Would you do that right now? Would you pray a dangerous prayer like that this very moment? Lord Jesus, thank you that not as a soldier, but as the commander, you came and laid down your life. And I thank you for all the soldiers throughout our American history that have laid down their lives. But Lord, ultimately, we give you all praise and glory for your life that you laid down for us. God, now, as your enlisted soldiers, protect us from the everyday affairs that we face And God, keep us focused on your kingdom calling. Lord, may we be like Uriah, also a man after your own heart, but one who was light, the light of Yahweh in a dark world. God, may we be that today and in the days to come, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people yelled at the top of their lungs.